All right, I'll invite you to grab a seat. It, uh, what a privilege it is to gather and praise Jesus together. Uh, Jerry and I and the kids have been on vacation the last uh, two Sundays. We're away for about 10 days. That took us away for two Sundays. And so it's been three weeks since I've had the privilege of preaching. I was so excited this morning. I woke up at 4.30 like I'm a pit bull, like just wanted a, what a privilege to tell people about the grace of God and to gather with God's people and celebrate God's good news towards us and his embrace of us. Oh, it's amazing. What a great day. What a privilege for me to be back here and to share uh, good news with you. And, uh, and um, those many of us, we've had a great time. Thanks for praying for us and all that good stuff. We are wrapping up, coming to the end of a, a campaign for this fall that we've been calling Open Doors, the Open Doors campaign. We had the last of our eight vision nights last evening at our home, and um, some of you haven't come yet. So if you want to come, come talk to me today or give me a text or fire me an email. You should come if you're part of Cornerstone and we'll schedule one for this week. All right, we want to we wanna include us all in this. We've really gathered some great feedback. We've had some great times and um, I, the, all the feedback we've had is that it's been good to do these. And so if you haven't come yet, come to one. Come talk to me. Uh, my cell phone number is on the back of the bulletin that you would have been handed as you walked in. And um, so you can text me. You can text me during the boring parts of the sermon and um, tell me which evenings would work for you this week, and we will try to make that happen. And so what the Open Doors campaign has always been about is we've, as we've been seeking to be students of our culture and praying, and to, especially together at our monthly prayer summits. Next one is next Sunday at 7 o'clock. You should be there. Um, We've been saying, Lord, what is the open door for the word into this community, into our culture? How can we uh, faithfully share the love and the message of Jesus in Niagara in 2017 and beyond? And one of the things that has really um, been impressed on us is this New Testament, this biblical character of hospitality that, uh, again, I want to keep saying hospitality doesn't mean having someone over for dinner and uh, serving on your fine china and putting on Martha Stewart. And that's not hospitality. Hospitality is love of the other, love of the stranger. Uh, the Greek word is xenophilia, which means, um, so you may, you may have heard charges against Donald Trump that he's a xenophobe, that he's afraid of the other. It's, this is the exact opposite. Xenophilia, love of the other, brotherly love towards those who are different. We really believe that in order for us as a church to be a faithful church that's going to be a mission-minded church, a church that is proclaiming and effective in a mission of making disciples of Jesus into the next um, generation, we must be a church of hospitality. We must create spaces of belonging and communities of belonging um, in which people can be free to explore the claims of Jesus in a safe community, in a non-accusational environment, in a, in a space where it's okay not to be okay, where it's a, we're in a space where it's okay to express your doubts and your skepticism and your cynicism, that, it, that we need to create these kinds of um, places and open up not only our homes and our dinner tables, but open up our lives to people to be there for him. And so what we've been asking is, well, what will it take for us to be as a church, a church of hospitality at every single level? 
How would it, what does it look like for um, us to be a church of hospitality at our homes and in our neighborhoods? And I was so encouraged um, just before we came out as we finished praying with the worship team and two, someone said, hey, uh, pray for us this week. Saturday, we've distributed um, invitations to um, all of our neighbors, like 30 or 40 neighbors who really, we just drive in to our driveway and hustle into our house so we don't have to meet anyone. So none of us know anyone. And so we've invited them all to an open house this Saturday. And someone said, hey, we're doing that Sunday. So that's the kind of vision of what we're, we're seeing, that how can we be the kind of people who pull people together and say, let's create spaces of belonging and, and, and places of hospitality to be a people in our homes, their family units. Of, of hospitality. How can we do that as in our group level? How can we, in our mid-sized groups as a church, and as we get bigger, it's more important, it's all the more important that we also get smaller, that we, as a church grows, it's more important that you're part of a, a life group, a small group of people who gather, because you won't know everyone. You'll feel like you don't belong because you see someone over there and you're like, they don't know me. But you know what? That's why it's important that you're part of a group of people where you can be known and where you can know others. And so um, how can we create those groups that are open for others to join? And how can we together corporately um, express hospitality? And, And one of the things that has garnered a lot of attention, obviously, is that we're feeling like in order for us to express to the community that our doors are open to them, that we exist for their benefit, not just for, we don't exist just for ourselves, but we're a church that exists for the benefit of the community in which God's planted us, that we actually need to make some changes to this physical facility. And so um, we need to change traffic flow. We need to create more capacity. We need to create spaces that are inviting and welcoming to the community that can be used all week long and be seen as a community asset. And so those are the kinds of things we've been processing at our vision nights. Again, if you haven't been a part of one, talk to me today and we will uh, create a space for you um, this week because next week is a commitment Sunday. And what we're asking you to do is to take one of these envelopes, which are in the pews in front of you. They're at your mailboxes. If you have one, they're at tables in the lobbies. If uh, they're all over the place, what we're asking those who are Part of Cornerstone to do is to make a financial commitment to the Open Doors campaign to see this vision become a reality. I just want to explain just very briefly uh, what this is all about. It says we need you to open doors. My enclosed gift today, blank dollars. So that is indicative of a gift that will be in this envelope, either cash or check. In addition to the enclosed, by faith, I or we commit to give blank dollars to the Open Doors campaign over and above regular giving over the next three years. This is not, by the way, a legally binding agreement. It's just simply a statement of intent. So one-time gift at the top, the next paragraph, if you take it out and you look at it if you like right now, that's a three-year commitment. So between now and the end of December 2020, so four tax years, three and a bit years, we anticipate that we'll be able to give this much to the Open Doors campaign. You add those two numbers together, and that makes your total commitment. Now, people have asked, you know, is it okay if I give monthly? Is it okay if I give annually? You can give however you want, however it works. Some people are giving their tax returns, so they'll just chunk it down in April or whatever. So however, it, uh, it doesn't really matter how often you give. Just make it out to Cornerstone Community Church, designated Open Doors campaign, and that's how it works. So next week, Sunday, we are kind of stuffing these envelopes, and we're going to have a special offering 
uh, where we all present our commitments to this Open Doors campaign. We've never done this before, but here we go. And we're asking you to give sacrificially, because sacrificial giving is our privilege. It's our way of saying we don't need our best life right now. We are investing in eternal riches. Now here, here's a few things. Um, this, is, this campaign is going to hit at our idols, these things in our lives that we love. These things in our lives that are of supreme importance to us. These things in our lives, these good things in our lives that we uh, make most important, make ultimate in our lives. And when those idols feel threatened, they attack back. And so many of us, myself included, have idols of, um, of, of, of you know, fear of poverty or fear of provision or uh, wanting more stuff and so money. And, and it hits at our idols of security and needing our homes to be our little fortress so here's the deal expect as you as you engage in this as you pray expect pushback from your flesh expect pushback from the enemy of our lord expect opposition because our enemy does not want this church to move forward. The enemy of Jesus doesn't want his church to live on mission. The enemy of Jesus does not want the church to advance. And so expect that. I know, so Sherry and I, we have, um, we've gone back to the Lord four times in prayer. And every time we've sensed him saying, no, push, dig a little deeper. It's not quite scary enough yet. It's not quite sacrificial enough yet. And we've been amping our way up. And I felt it. I felt the fear. The fear. One of the fears is like, well, what if no one else sacrifices like this? Won't I be a fool? And know what, know what the Lord said? You follow me. I'll take care of them. You follow me. And so we're asking that you would just seek the Lord on this and that you would do as he tells you to do. That's what we're asking. Two people are going to know who's donated. If you're worried about confidentiality, we're not publishing. You know, we had three gifts over this amount or none of that. The only published amount is number of donors and the, the total commitments that are made. Some would say, well, shouldn't we wait? Wait until we're more fill in the blank. But here, friends, it's in the moving that God changes us. It's in the moving. It's in the obedience that God actually does those things that we're wanting him to do. It's in taking those steps. Those of you who came to a vision night heard, saw the interview with my friend Tom, who described how he lived with a spirit of poverty, a fear of poverty that had his grip on him from the time he was a young boy. And he, you know what? He didn't sit around and wait, and he was sharing the story of how God broke that spirit, that fear in his life. And you know what? He didn't wait and sit around until God broke that fear. It was in the sacrificial giving that God did that. It's in the moving. It's in the obedience. It's in the walking by faith, step by step, that God does things in our lives. We don't wait for God to do something amazing before we obey and walk by faith. He has already done amazing things in sending the Lord Jesus and dying for your sins and rising again and promising a kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit and coming back to usher it in in all of its fullness. And so we are just thrilled about the opportunity to welcome more into our family, welcome more into our community. 
And um, so if you have questions, if you have ideas, love to hear them. We've had great feedback in these vision nights. And if, if you haven't engaged yet, let me know. So in these weeks, we've been talking about what are some of the values of Cornerstone Community Church that we really need to keep and hold on to things that have defined us over the years and things that we need to help uh, hold on to to preserve moving forward that will help us in our decision making, etc. And so we've been talking about our values, first value, and our highest value is that our message is Jesus. That we don't proclaim how awesome we are, we proclaim how awesome Jesus is. And we've talked about how generosity is our privilege. How We've talked about a couple weeks ago, I think it was Matt who pr- preached about it. It's about us and our God. That, that Christianity is not about you and your God. It's about us and our God. That following Jesus is not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing with an individual component. So yes, there is a personal relationship with God, but we're called to belong to one another. Jeff last week talked about how worship is a lifestyle, that, that worship isn't confined to what we do here on Sunday morning, but really we don't compartmentalize our lives, but we allow the truth of the gospel to infuse into every area of our lives. And today I'm going to be talking about the fact that we as a church are intergenerational, not just multi-generational, not just a church that has lots of generations present in it, but intergenerational that we want to be a church where the generations actually mingle. That, that we see that as, as a really important value of Cornerstone Community Church. And so I'm talking today and want to share some thoughts from the scripture with us about what does it mean for us as a church to be intergenerational? To be a church where generations can actually mingle together and learn from one another and encourage each other. The relationships between generations are often marked by tensions and misunderstandings, missed opportunities. So how can we foster healthy relationships? So this morning I want to talk to both generations that are above me and below me and that include me. I'm kind of in the, the unique situation of the old, a, lot of, a lot of older folks think I'm so young. A lot of younger folks think I'm so old. And I've kind of always um, related more with older people. I remember I was eight years old, 1988, Brian Mulroney's election. And I was asking my friends, so what do you think about free trade? <laughs> Did you see that debate where he just destroyed Turner last night? Like, and, and my friends are like, who are you? Like, so I've kind of always been an old soul. Um, but wanna want to talk to both generations above and generations below today because those of us here in the middle kind of have a generation above us and have a generation below us. So both parts of these talks apply to me and those in my generation. All right. The world loves to separate generations right from school, right? Where we kind of segregate by age and we don't let people mix and then we we, we, we keep the generations separate. We want to be with people who are just like us. But hospitality is all about welcoming people who are not just like us. Being a people of hospitality where, you know, like Paul says in, in, the, in the book of Romans, he says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. He doesn't say, like, welcome those who are like you as Christ is like, welcome one another just in the same way that Christ has welcomed you. So first, some thoughts to the older generation. Let me catch my breath. To the older generation. And if, by the way, if you need to ask, hey, am I in that generation? Yeah, you are. <laughs> right? 
to the older generation, I beg you, as someone younger than you, I beg you not to withdraw. I beg you not to withdraw. Don't withdraw. Don't resent. Don't fear. Don't judge the next generation. That's the tendency. Withdraw, resent, fear, judge the next generation. Invest in them. Invest in them. Encourage them. Call them. Call them to something. Tap their shoulders and say, I see this in you. Good. Paul, I'm going to refer to this relationship, Paul and Timothy, a lot in the New Testament. Paul's the older guy. Timothy's the younger guy. Look what it says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 6. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, generation to generation, and now, I am sure, dwells in you, three generations. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us... A spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So see, see here this generational flow of the good news of Jesus, right? Eunice to Lois to Timothy. And Paul to Timothy. Paul, he's not related, but he saw something in Timothy. And Paul came and tapped his shoulder. said, I see something in you, and I want to invest in you. And I want to, I want to mentor you. I want to coach you. I want to encourage you. I want to be your cheerleader. And, and I laid my hands on you and prayed blessing and favor into your life. Do you know how powerful that is for a young person, to, for an older person to come alongside and say, hey, I see something in you. I think God could do amazing things through you. Like don't, those of you who are older, don't discount the power of that. Honestly, everyone I know that's in ministry, or in even whether it be paid ministry or lay ministry, someone's come alongside and said, I think you can do this. I think God's calling you to this. So don't withdraw. Encourage. Call them out. To the older generation, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. We need the knowledge of God that you have. Listen to David's heart in Psalm 78. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonderful things that he's done. He established a testimony in Jacob appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, that children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We need you. We need you to pass on what you've seen God do in your life through the ages. We need that courage that comes from saying, God has always provided. He's always come through for us. I know God to be this way. We need that. Older, older generation, you may feel insecure. You may wonder, can I engage? Can I make a difference? Friends, the world may not value maturity, but God does. And if you're not dead, you're not done. And so embrace the season you're in. Be yourself. Be yourself. Don't feel like you've got to be just like the younger generation. 
Don't be that fat 50-year-old wearing skinny jeans. Right? You don't have to be that to fit in. Young people can smell a fake. They can smell a, like, you faked, right? They can smell a fake. Authenticity trumps cool every time. I want to tell you about one of my heroes. Jake Wishart was one of my heroes. He was in his 70s. I was 30. He's like a generation and a half older than me, right? He was my friend. He took me out for coffee one time to tell me the sins that he struggled with. Do you think that created safety for me to tell him the things I was struggling with? Yeah. He came and prayed with me every Tuesday morning. He came and said, Kevin, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. I'm with you. We're with you. Keep leading. Keep going. Do you know what that says to a young guy? A young punk who doesn't really know at all what he's doing? You know what kind of courage that gives? Jake Wishart passed away suddenly. Four years ago, I think. His pallbearers were all 30-year-olds who were friends of his. It wasn't just me. Don't withdraw. Show us the way. Psalm 71, look at this. Look at this cry to God from, I think this is Asaph. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. God, you're not done with me until I can tell this next generation the great things you've done. I, want, I need to tell the next generation how merciful you are, have been to me, how, how gracious you've been to me. I need to tell this next generation how faithful you are, how, how you always come through, how you always keep your word. I, I need to tell them. Don't let me go until, until I can do that. Coach the next generation. Mentor them. Share your experience. Here's what happens if you'll withdraw. Judges 2 verse 10. Skip the next one. Judges 2 10. That generation were gathered to their fathers, which is a nice way of saying they died too. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Older generation, if you withdraw, if we withdraw, if we don't pass on to the next generation who God is and all that he's done, that'll be true of us. And there'll be no gospel witness here. Don't withdraw. We're always one generation away, right? We're just, we're just always one generation away. To the younger generation, you need those who have gone before you. We need those who have gone before us. There was a, there was a study done by a business leader not too long ago, and um, he went to kind of the heads of big big companies and said, you know what, if you would describe the rising generation, the, wor- the generation just work- entering the workforce, what, how would you describe them? What one word would you use to describe them? 
And uh, one word really rose to the top. And they went to that generation who's just entering the workforce, the rising generation, and they said, you know, we asked uh, your bosses what, what one word describes you, and it was amazing. One word really rose to the top. It starts with E. What do you think it is? And they're all like, excellent, <laughs> exceptional. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's entitled. <laughs> entitled. Do you know why your generation has... Our, and that includes partly my generation. Why, you know why we have that reputation? Because we are. <laughs> because it's true. We need those who have gone before us. We're not the exceptional generation that's going to exceed, our, like, that has finally figured it all out. We're, we're not. We need those who've gone before us. We need to learn from them. We need to honor them. We need to humble ourselves under them and learn from them. But what I also want to say to the younger generation is that living for the glory of God does not have, does not, you know, is not on hold until you reach a certain age. The living for the glory of God is something that we can do at a young age. Look what Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 12. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. A couple things here. Youth can be despised, Right? People can look down on you because you're young and, and write you off and say, you're just a dumb punk. Right? You don't know what you're talking about. Why can youth be despised? Because often youth is associated with disrespect, rebellion, self-absorption. Right? Conforming to peer pressure, indifference, cliquishness. But Paul says, don't be indifferent to what older people think. Don't be indifferent to that. Don't let them look. But he says... Don't, don't, don't take the attitude, well, who cares what those old people think? Oh, those jean-wearing pastors. Don't, don't write it off. But don't let them look down on you because you're not those things. Because you're not cliquish and disrespectful and rebellious and self-absorbed and conforming to peer pressure and indifferent. He says, set an example. Don't write them off as being out of ta- touch, but rather... Rather, to hear what they're saying and, and, and be an example in, in conduct, in love, in purity, in faith. It says, don't take their opinion as supreme either. It says, don't, don't make conforming to their desires absolute value either. Don't adapt to low expectations, younger folks. Don't adapt. This world will set really low bars for you. Right from kids, the Low bar expectations. Set an example. High expectations. Jeremiah 1, 6 and 7. This is what God says to Jeremiah. This is the interaction. And I said, this is Jeremiah. Oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Don't adapt to low expectations. Don't say, well, I'm just going to be an idiot today because I'm 18, right? Like, be an example. Be serious. Push forward. And honor the older generation. Honor the older generation. How, how can we honor those who are older than us? First, get to know them. Get to know them. 
If you have a home, invite them into your home. Have them over for dinner and learn from them. Listen to their wisdom and their experience. You know, the whole book of Proverbs, this wisdom book in the Bible, it's, like, it's written from like a father to a son. It's to, it says actually in verse 2 of the first chapter, it says this is written to give prudence to youth, to give wisdom to youth, young people. That whole book of Proverbs is like, a, is like an older sage saying this, here's wisdom, listen to it. Yeah, my son, listen to my wisdom. Listen to it. How can we honor the older generation? Get to know them. Listen to their wisdom and their experience. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4.13. is another great verse. He says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So what's a wise person? Someone who can listen. Someone who's teachable. Someone who can take advice. It's much better than riches. That's what that verse is saying. Why did Paul invest so much in Timothy? Because he was teachable. You want older people to invest in you? You want to be invested in by older people? Be a teachable person. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 3. Listen to see how Timothy was teachable. It says, you, however, in contrast to the others, have followed my teaching. You, you followed my teaching. You put it into practice. In my conduct... You followed Christ as I followed Christ. You followed me as I followed Christ. You followed my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and my persecutions and sufferings. Timothy, you've seen me. You've watched and you've listened. You've been taught. You were teachable. You allowed me to mold you. There's younger people. It's not, it, there's nothing more frustrating than us trying to invest in you and just not seeing you receive it and wanting to make the same mistakes we made we're trying to pay the stupid tax for you right like we've we've made these mistakes and we've we've paid the price for it so don't make the same mistakes we made listen to our wisdom listen to our experience that's how we can honor the older generation so what do we need to cultivate to be an intergenerational church Older generation, investing in younger people. Younger people, learning from, honoring older people. We need to cultivate intentionality. Because this will not happen by accident. It will not happen by accident. Churches naturally age. Leadership teams naturally age. It needs intentionality. We need to continually invest in young people, giving them opportunities. And sometimes when we take risks on young people, they're going to make a real big mess. And we're going to say, hey, we tried. Let's, let's learn from it and move on. And so sometimes the quality will suffer because we believe in the next generation. We need to give people opportunities for them to grow calling them out. We need to intentionally look and see who can I call out and say, I see this in you. You can do it. We need to be intentional about reaching out to the older generation, getting to know them. That's why we do these um, pleasant connections. It's just one way, but where it's not just for old people to come to. It's for all of us to come and interact together. What else do we need to culture, cultivate? We need to cultivate a culture of honor. 
Honoring one another begins with honoring God. We, have a high, we need a high view of God. God's not the big guy in the sky. We don't pray to the six-pound, four-ounce little baby Jesus. We pray to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship the returning Christ, the sovereign, the almighty, the all-knowing. We honor God, and we honor one another. Romans 12.10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. Like, make it a competition in honoring each other. And saying, this is how I see Christ in you. See, honor builds up, criticism tears down. Say, this is how I see Christ in you. We need to cultivate intentionality. We need to cultivate a culture of honor. We need to cultivate a surrender of our preferences. A surrender of our preferences. If we're going to be an intergenerational church, sometimes things aren't going to be the way that we would prefer them. I can't tell you how many Sundays I've been told, hey, you know what, the music's too loud today. And on the same Sunday, I've been told, hey, the music was way too quiet today. On my performance review one year, I handed out surveys to some in the congregation. I got a thing saying, uh, you dress too casually. And another one that says, you dress too formally. So today I wore jeans to tick half of you off, and I wore a dress shirt to tick the other half of you off. (laughs) We'll need to surrender our personal preferences if we're going to be an intergenerational church. So the music may not be as rocking as you would want it, or it may be a little too rocking. Here's another, here's another thing that I was kind of struck by this week, too, when I was thinking about this. The more mature we are, the less it's about me. The more mature I am, the less it's about me and what I want. Church becomes less and less about how can you all serve me and more about how can I serve others. It's a part of dying to self. Here's the illustration that I was, I was thinking of. We, as some of you know, we took in a little uh, baby for four and a half months as a foster child uh, this spring and summer. And when families welcome a baby, the more mature ones have to adapt to the less mature. Like, we don't say to the baby, well, you know, it's steak and potatoes for supper tonight, so choke it down. You adapt. You don't say, well, you know, in this house we sleep all night long. (laughs) So be quiet and go back to sleep. Get up and walk already, right? We don't, we adapt. You have to adapt to the less mature. We need to cultivate a surrender of our preferences. And we all need to do that. But the more mature, probably need to do it a little more. And as we mature, we become more and more aware that it was my way. When I insist on my way, that's what makes a mess of my life anyway. Lastly, we need to hold, remember, to, in order, this is a little bit... Maybe surprising, but in order for us to be an intergenerational church, intergenerational must not be our highest value. 
That must, it can't be our highest value. Our highest value is, the, is, is, is what will actually create the intergenerational church. And our highest value is that our message is Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus that will actually create us into being an intergenerational church. It's the message of Jesus who said, let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them. Don't get in the way of younger people coming to me, of less mature ones. Don't get in the way of less mature people coming to me. Don't do it. It's Jesus who came not to receive honor, but to give honor to his Father. It's Jesus who was despised and rejected so we could be given the place of honor. And so now I've received, in Christ, I've received all the honor I ever need, and so I'm free to give it. I don't need it from you. I'm free to give it to you. When I insist on my own way, this is what makes a mess of my life. But Jesus is the one who said, not my will, but yours be done, Father, for me. And so he's given me all that I really need, so I'm free to surrender my preferences. You see, when, when the gospel hits our heart, when the grace of God penetrates our heart, it always sends us out to the others. It always sends us out. Every character in the scripture who has an interaction with the grace of God from, from Abraham to Moses to Isaiah to Jeremiah to Paul to the disciples to Timothy to whoever experiences God's grace, it always is, never stops on ourselves and just says, it's here for me to you know, experience the groovy vibes and the love of God. It's always to, I'm blessed to be a blessing. It always sends us out to the other. It always says, this isn't what I've learned isn't meant to terminate on myself. It's meant to be expressed through the church. To others. It's to invite more children to come home to the Father. God always draws us in in order to send us out. He always blesses us in order to be a blessing. And he's the one that said, as the Father has sent me, so I am now sending you. It's when Jesus and the grace of God and the message of Jesus is our highest priority. That actually does the heart work in us. That allows us to be an intergenerational church. And so if being an intergenerational church is our highest value. We actually won't be an intergenerational church. Because we'll fail to preach the gospel. It'll all be about how awesome we are. Look at us. Look how intergenerational we are. No, it's all about Jesus in his kingdom. So Father, make us of people who love Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways in which we have maybe even stifled that kind of ministry from happening here. And we're so thankful that you're a God of grace and mercy. So build your church, Father. Give us humility. Give us boldness through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. This is our connection time. Here's my challenge to you. Meet someone, talk to someone, encourage someone of a different generation. In these couple of minutes, we call this connection time. It's a time to connect together. We get our kids. We worship with all generations, praising God together. All generations, all tongues, praising God in a few minutes here in this room. So connect with someone of a different generation right now in our connection time.